How many of you have heard of Spotify? It's, it's, it's the most incredible music system of the, on the planet. And uh, recently I bought the, the Spotify Premium, which means you can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere. You dream it, you think of it, you put it in, and away you go. Taylor Swift came back to Spotify, so that makes it even better. And, um, but now it's like every song, it's just out there. And now they have like these, these categories, and you, you hit a browse in the category, and then they just, they just play songs. Very great people who are more classy than me have put together playlists that I just get to soak up and enjoy. Well, I was on this road trip listening. Uh, my family was asleep, and I needed some good music. So I go to... Uh, uh, 80s hip-hop or early funk or something like that. That was my, my playlist because I needed some, some music. And all of a sudden, this song comes on the playlist. I don't know if you've ever heard this song before, but it's, it has this kind of really cool, like, beginning. I don't know if you can... You know the song? Like, it just, and I'm driving down a car. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I have not heard this song in forever. Forever. And I'm like, what, what is it? Oh, yeah, it's Rapper's Delight. This is the greatest song. And I'm thinking all of a sudden... All of this like jibbery jabbery jibbery starts coming up out of my mouth. Like, what's going on? All of a sudden, it was like, what? I said, hip hop, the hip to the hip to the hip hip hop. You don't stop the rock to the bang bang boogie. Say up, jump the boogie to the boogie to the rhythm to beat. Now, what you hear is not a test, cause I'm a rapping to the beat. And me, the groove, and my friends are gonna try to move your feet. You see, I am Wonder Mike, and I'd like to say hello. To the black, to the white, the red and the brown, the purple and yellow. But first, I gotta bang bang the boogie to the boogie. They up jump the boogie to the bang bang boogie. Let's rock. You don't stop. Rock the rhythm that'll make your body rock. All right, that's enough. Woo! I know. Like that song means nothing. It's jibbery jash, jibbery jash, jibbery jash. At the end of the song, there's, a, there's this part about, you know, going to his friend's house and eating uh, food that tastes no good and I get KO pectate or whatever, right? But the song, it means nothing. And I probably hadn't heard it for like 10 or 15 years. But all of a sudden, that's, it, I heard the music, it rose up in me, and this file folder came inside my head and was like, here is everything you need to know about this song. And 15 minutes later, I was like, I got to listen to it again. You know, it was incredible. <laughs> But what's crazy is we all have, um, those are in there. And so I just thought, boy, what a fun thing. What do you have locked in your head? So we're going to try a little game, see if you have anything locked in your head. We're going to start out, this is really easy. This isn't up there yet. So let's just see if you're playing along. It goes head, shoulders. Okay, you got it. So let's see um, how, what, let's go deep back into your reservoirs. Let's, so I'm going to say a line and you're going to finish it. Okay, so here we go. Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song and I'll... Yeah, Michael and this should be doing this, not us. But here we go. That's right. Billy Joel remembers, sing us a song. You're the piano man. Sing us a song tonight for... These guys are awesome. You guys are like, what, Billy Joel? That sucks. I know, totally. Uh, this song, I, I thought my son would be all into it, but he's not. But this is, this is a song from uh, when I was in middle school. I really liked it. It goes like this. Um, does it? Yeah. Some people call me the space cowboy. Oh, yeah. Some call me the gangster of love. Some people call me... Because I speak of the pompous of love. What does that even mean? I don't even know, but I love it. All right, well, let's, we'll bring it up a couple decades. Um, let's see here. Um, oh, yeah. I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped up. All right, okay. Phew, my people. All right. 
And, uh, and then last but not least, who's back on Spotify and changed my life? Someday I'll be living in a big old city, but... Oh, thank, thank you. Having my back. I was like, okay, enough of that circus. So I just thought, it is so weird what is in our head. It is not right. It is jumbled with so much stuff. And so this summer, we're going to do this thing called Summer of the Scriptures, which we do forever and ever. But we're going to focus on Bible memorization. And you got to know, Bible memorization, how exciting is that? That's like, all right, see you next week. Not right. The Bible, like, who memorizes Scripture? It's so boring. It sounds that way. But I just want to do a quick little thing, because the truth is we all memorize things. We all memorize things. There is stuff in our head that is just washed over us, and it is in our head. And so why not be good, godly women and men and say, well, let's just take some control of what washes over us, what goes in our head, and actually have God's Word shape us. So we all memorize things. So why not memorize something that may change your life? And people who have been connected to God's Word, people who are deeply rooted to God's Word, they all attest that God's Word is the thing that points them to Jesus, and that's where real life change happens. Not trying really hard, not white-knuckling things, but being so connected to Jesus, and we know who Jesus is because Scripture reveals who Jesus is, and being connected to God's Word, that God's Word actually begins to mold us and shape us. I wish Rapper's Delight would mold me and shape me, because then I would be golden. So I need to take some of those lyrics out, and I need to put other lyrics and other scriptures back in. So this whole summer, that's what we're going to do. So a couple quick things. What are we doing? We're doing Summer in the Scriptures. When you came in, you should have gotten this cool little fan bookmark. This goes old school, like in a Bible. It can fit in there. Um, I keep it on my phone because my phone's in my Bible, but like it doesn't fit as cool. But if you have an old school Bible, whoosh, stick it right in there. And, uh, and the way it's going to work is we're going to try to read through the whole New Testament in, in nine weeks, and it's a lot. If you tried to read through Matthew this week, it's a lot. I did a little skimming, I'm not going to lie, because it is a lot. But we're going to try to read through Scripture. It just tells you what day it is, so don't try to uh, catch up. Just think, what's the date today? The date is the 16th, Acts 1 through 5. That's what we read today. And then as you're reading Scripture— we don't want to just read it. We don't just let it wash over us, but we stop and go, okay, what in that I've read, maybe what does God have to say in me? And then we just stop reading for content and we read for formation. And Bible memorization is a way that we stop and we go, oh, I don't want to just like have to take a test on this, but I want God to form me. And so memorizing scripture slows us down and makes space for the word of God to actually penetrate our hearts because we have to think about it. We have to meditate on it. We actually have to like let it like deep roots into us. So what are we doing? That's what we're doing. We are reading scripture, and then one scripture out of the week we're going to write down and try to memorize. That's what we're doing. Now, why are we doing it? Um, well, it's summer, and summer in the scriptures. We've done it for three years. Why not one more year, right? Um, but we are actually doing it because we, uh, we're people of the book. We are people who love scripture. And we don't just love scripture. It's not like this idol. It's not like, ooh, this magic book, and if you touch it, you're going to be okay. We love scripture because God is invisible. And because God's invisible, we can just make God into whoever we want him to be. And, uh, and we, we do that naturally. It's just in us to create God, to, to make God a personification of all the things that we want him to be. And Scripture is this way that peels back what I want, the way I imagine God. And Scripture points to who Jesus is. And Jesus says, I am and the Father are one. That Jesus is the representation, the, the manifest of who God is. And so if we want to know who God is, we look to Jesus. We want to know who Jesus is. Scripture is, is pointing us there. And if we're honest, we are people who are all about confirmation bias. And what confirmation bias simply means is I have an opinion, 
And so therefore, I only listen to information and data that is going to confirm my opinion. If you give me something that goes against what I think, well, then I just think that's just an anomaly, right? That's the thing. Like everything in the news is about narrative, right? This is what I believe. If, you, if it fits in that, it confirms deeply what I believe. If it doesn't fit into that, then we throw it away. And the truth is we do that with God. We have a view of who God is. And then when God doesn't do that, the thing that we want, or it, the world doesn't work out that way, then it, it shatters who we understand God to be. So Scripture throws away our confirmation bias. It's this through line. It's like the, the, the new ground zero of who God is. This is who God is. And then we want to kind of walk in line with that. Like think of it as this way. It's a compass, right? If I'm standing right here, north is, you know, that way-ish, right? If I'm over in another part of the world, it's the direction of north is going to look different on the compass, but it's still going to point to north. And Scripture for us points to Jesus. It points to who God is and what it looks like to follow him, that we believe that Scripture is fully authoritative for all things concerning faith and practice. So you want to know what it looks like to be a Christian? We read Scripture, and that's why we're doing it. A couple of Scriptures that that stuck out to me. Uh, This is Romans chapter 12. It says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. The way that we're transformed is we we have these, these rhythms, the way we think, these tapes in our head, the ways we understand God. And if we just like let go, let those go unchecked, then we kind of just meander off course. But by recognizing what Scripture is, by leaning into Scripture, by submitting ourselves to what God has to say through Scripture, right, all of a sudden our mind gets to be transformed and we actually are renewed and we can see what God's will is. Another verse that says this um, in Psalm 119, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's kind of cliche. I mean, it is cliche, so it doesn't really have the power. Um, but that we believe in this relational God. It was so crazy. When we were in Israel, we, we, we did this tour along the Western Wall. So the Western Wall, like where all the Orthodox Jewish people pray, they pray, they pray, they pray, they pray. But then there's this tour, and there's a place where you can get even closer to where the temple is. And it was like this extra, extra sacred place. And so we're on this tour, like, hey, hey, you and gum having a tour. And we pass a spot, and there's these precious little old women, like with their face on the, the, the rocks of this temple, leaning back and forth and weeping, just praying, God, show up, show up, Messiah, come right, just lean like into this rock. And I had this crazy epiphany that like we worship a God who is not bound in rocks and in stones, right? But we believe in a God where the temple has been torn. I mean, the curtain's been torn in the Holy Spirit. We now have access to this God. Like, so it's not just a cliche. We have this relational connection with God. And because it's this relational connection with God, well, God's like, this is how we interact. Just like with your friends. I like that music. I like this food. You want them to tell you that so then you can go eat that food or go to that restaurant, right? Well, God, the same way in Scripture says, this is, what I, this is how I feel loved. And so we, we, we read Scripture for that. And lastly, um, John 15, verse 5 says this, that I am the vine and you're the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in them, they bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So at the end of the day, the reason why we look at Scripture, the reason why we memorize Scripture is not to get gold stars in our Jesus-y handbook. Um, But we do that because we desperately want to be connected to the vine. Because real life is when Christians who are adopted into the family of God through Christ are empowered with the Holy Spirit. We are connected to Jesus. And because we're connected to Him, it is His life, it is His power, it is His Holy Spirit that moves through us and He changes us and we bear fruit. 
And we want to be people who are being transformed by the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be little gold star Christians. When I look at me, I memorize my scriptures. We want to be people who memorize scripture because we want those, spirit, those passages of scripture to shape us so we're connected to Jesus, not just to the make-believe Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, good. We're tracking. Okay, um, so the last thing is, what are we going to preach on? So I had dinner last night with some friends of ours, and uh, this was their take of Summer in the Scriptures. Oh, Summer in the Scriptures. It's like sermon light for the summer. You pastors get a, day, a week off or a summer off. I'm like, yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sermon light. What are we going to preach on? We have the whole Bible to preach on. And uh, so this is, this is how we've decided we're going to do it. We as pastors, right, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to read through the passages of Scripture, and we're going to ask that God would show up and read, and, uh, and one of those passages that we read that God would actually, you know, show up and, t- and, and do something in our heart, and we would memorize that passage of Scripture and allow God to shape us in it as well, and then that'll kind of lead uh, what we're going to preach on. So this week, we read through Matthew. So the sermon today is going to be on Matthew, and there's so much good stuff in Matthew. I mean, there's incredible things. I thought we could start from the very beginning go, Abraham was the father of Isaac and was the father of Jacob. That was easy to memorize, you know. Um, or there's the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemaker. That's, that's pretty good in there. Um, you, you have uh, Jesus healing a bunch of people, and there's some healing stories which are really incredible. You have Jesus thrashing on religious leaders. We love that. Woe to you, brood of vipers, but I'm a religious leader, so I didn't want to preach on that. Um, you know, so there's all these different passages, and I came across uh, Romans, I mean, uh, Matthew 15, 16, and I thought this was really compelling. It said, Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so dull? I just thought, gosh, that's a great memory verse. Plant that deep in, in my heart. Um, but it was interesting. I read through all of Matthew this week, and when you read, and it was weird because it was the first time in a long time that I've read through Matthew in such a short amount of time. And what stood out to me is Jesus kind of has these couple different ways in which he engages people, right? He engages the, uh, the poor and the oppressed and the deformed uh, and the marginalized and the lepers, right? And, and he, he engages them. He sees them. He has so much compassion in mercy, in empathy. He leverages his personal capital and his power and his reputation to love and to care for the poorest and weakest around him. I'm like, gosh, that's incredible. So that was one kind of grouping of teachings. And then on this side, on the total other end of the spectrum, is Jesus who just thrashes religious leaders. Those poor Pharisees, they were good guys. They loved God. They set up their rules because they wanted to love God and respect God and stay pure so that the Messiah would come, but he just levels them. He just thrashes them. In Matthew, there's so much good stuff where he just destroys religious leaders. And then in the middle, there's all this teaching and all this great teaching. But really, those teaching is not to the religious leaders and it's not to the poorest and most oppressed. It's to this middle of the bell curve, to the common people, and basically saying to his disciples, to the people who are going to follow him, what it means to be a disciple, what the point of a disciple is. The whole Gospel of Matthew, right, it ends with saying, now go out and make disciples. And so when I came across this passage of Scripture, um, God kind of like shook me a little bit about it. And it's Matthew, I think it's Matthew 16. No, yeah, it's Matthew 16, 24. It says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And what's interesting is this is such a simple passage of Scripture. There's no hidden meaning in the Greek. There's no cultural moment that helps you understand it better. It is just this straightforward, awful punch in the gut that, just, that Jesus says, if you want to be with me, 
if you want to move towards Christ, if you want to be someone who's going to be a disciple, who's going to make disciples, who's going to go and make disciples that are going to make disciples that are going to make disciples that are going to change the entire world, if you want to be that person, then you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And so for, me, for this morning, for the rest of our time, I just thought we would just spend a few minutes unpacking this passage of Scripture, see what God might have for it, the way that he might gently nudge us along as we want to be more and more like Christ. But first, let's try to memorize it, okay? Uh, because if you're, if you're like people in my family, we didn't all memorize Scripture this week. Um, and you may not have knew that was part of the thing, but this is an easy passage to remember. So let's just read this together. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. Okay, see, easy. Now, we go old school VBS status here, okay? Take a couple words away, see if we can still do it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All right, let's try it again. Let's take, we'll take some more words away. So, then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. So you got it. All right, let's try the whole thing together. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow me. And it's pretty wild if you're going to go, I'm going to memorize this verse. And when you're driving in your car, and when you're eating food, and when you're talking with your kids, thinking... Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, you must deny yourself. Ooh. All of a sudden, all week, everything I'm doing, Jesus said, I must deny myself. I must deny myself. And I was thinking, and it, was, and it struck me it's as clear as day, that I do not want to deny myself, for I am the center of my stage, right? The play of my life, I am center stage. Clark Griswold is my favorite person. I don't know Christmas without this movie. It's inappropriate for my kids, and I just, we're going to deal with that um, down the road. Um, but what's interesting is about this story, if you've ever seen Christmas Vacation, Clark Griswold, he's this incredible dad, and I've always thought, you're this incredible dad. He wants this great thing for his family. But if you watch it in this next Christmas, when you watch it, you realize he is the star of his play. And look at his wife. She's so happy. I'm like, Katie, why don't you look at me like that? And uh, right, he, like his whole world is like, I'm the man. And his whole family just comes around him and does what he wants. And he's going to have this great Christmas. And everything he does is for him and is for his needs. And he wants to have this Christmas. And his whole family, they're just these players in this play for him to be the star. And I think all of us, if we're honest, we are the stars of our play where we go to eat, where we sit around the table, how we drive, what we listen to, who we interact with, how we talk to people, the things that we spend money on, every single thing we do, we basically unintentionally answer this question, what do I want? What is going to satisfy me? What is going to fulfill me? What is going to make me happy? And then the answer is whatever that is, that's what I'm going to do. And we live in a context and a culture where there is zero pushback to that. In fact, if you push back to that, then you are judgmental. You are not doing it right. You are a loser for why would you ever give up any of your rights or any of your freedoms or any of your resources because you need to be fulfilled and you need to be happy. 
So we all want to be center stage. And so that means that, therefore, this passage that Jesus says, if Jesus is the center stage, right? The, the whole Christian story is that Jesus is the center. He is the one where every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. He's the center. And we get to become along. He invites us to be co-laborers with him. He invites us to be part of the story. But he is the center. And if he's going to be the center, then I can't be the center. And so when Jesus says we must deny ourselves, what he's saying is this is my spot. Psh, right in the center. Oh, but if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, this is Jesus' spot. So me, I'm going to step back. I'm going to step back and I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to look over at Jesus and see what he has. And think about that. Think about this honestly. When was the last time that you denied yourself? When was the last time that you said, you know what, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to buy that, whatever it is. In Christian tradition, there's the seven deadly sins. And so instead of just talking about my food issues all the time, one of these seven things, they're yours, right? It's gluttony and lust, sloth, anger, envy, greed, pride. There might be another one there, but I forget. But right, all of us in this room, we have something in us, one of those things that we just feed all the time. And for me, right, it's food. And so if I go, okay, I'm going to deny myself. I don't need to eat every single thing on my plate, every single thing in a buffet. For two weeks, we had buffets every meal. Gosh, not my best two weeks. You know what I mean? And so to think, what am I going to do? If I'm going to sit back and I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to say no to that thing. All of a sudden, I'm not just hungry, but all of a sudden you realize, oh, for me, that feeds something in me, literally. That feels, that, that covers something that's going on in me. So now all of a sudden, there's this part of me that's broken and wounded that comes to the surface that I now have to deal with. There's this author, Kerry Newhoff, and uh, he's this incredible author and pastor up in Canada. And for one year, he said, I'm not going to buy one thing. He did not buy one new thing for the, an entire year. Could you even imagine? No new technology, no new jeans, no new CDs. No one does CDs anymore, but whatever, right? No, like, not one new thing. And I'm like, totally, I could totally do that. I don't buy anything new. And then within a week, no joke, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, I always buy new things. I, all, like, I don't buy huge things, but I'm always buying little things. And I thought, what an incredible discipline to just say, you know what, I don't need these things for me. Uh, a couple years ago, I took uh, a, a Facebook fast. I said, you know, I'm not going to blog or Facebook for, for an entire month. And uh, because I got so wrapped up into, do I have enough likes or enough followers, enough things, or, you know, who's reading this or not reading this? And, uh, and so to say, you know, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to step back and not do that. And then all of a sudden, right, this deeper issue comes forward in me. This area that God needs to mold and shape and kill and redeem rises up. But we never get to that part of our formation if we are always just filling ourselves. If we are always just absorbing center stage, we will miss out on this formation that God wants us to do. So we have to figure out we must deny ourselves. Secondly, we have to pick up our cross. This is the worst. This is why the whole world are not Christians. You think, why are the whole world not Christians? God, Jesus is love. God is love. Grace and mercy to the poor and oppressed. That all sounds really great, and the world actually resonates with that. But the way you get there is that we have to pick up our cross, that there's this part of us that actually has to die. And because we are so prideful, because our flesh is so strong, it is a violent and awful death. It is a brutal death. In my, in my little prayer journal, the way that I kind of come to understand this is, is I, I write, I draw out a little cross and I draw a little person on it. And then I'll kind of, in that cross, write down things that I need to die to. And I go, okay, Jesus, I need to die to this. 
not just the food, not just the buying things, but the things that God rises up in me, my pride and my ego and my selfishness. And he, and he shows me these things that, I, that God needs to die. And so for me, I draw that on a cross and I imagine what it's like to, to actually crucify this thing, to kill this thing. And what's interesting is the, the way crucifixion happens, it's not just like the electric chair and you're dead. It's like this three to six to nine hour thing. It's like an excruciating long death. And I think part of the reason why Jesus says pick up your cross is because to die to those things is an excruciating process. And to lay it out before Jesus, say, Jesus died those things. And so, and so in my little prayer journal, I draw a little cross and I write down these little things, kill this thing in me. And then when I'm feeling really great about it, I'll draw a little grave with a little RIP, you know, headstone. I'm like, yes, I killed it. And, uh, and because the, 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 what the Christian story is, and this happens, right, Jesus says, unless like something dies, like unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it is only then that it opens up, right, and then becomes and this new life happens. Out of death, this new life happens. The whole story, the passage that Michael read, right, the death on the cross was not the final answer. The death made the way so that Jesus could conquer death so that the Holy Spirit would bring new life. And so I have my little grave, and then after next grave, I draw this little picture of a dove, and I go, yes, with a little stick figure with like all this like, whoa, coming out of it because I'm like, I am a new person, right? It is this, path, this way of death that actually leads to life. Not me being fulfilled doing my own things, but me being fulfilled because I am the most human way that God intended me to be. I am most closely aligned to who God is forming me to be, and I experience this life. Um, it's interesting. So Art wrote a, a book a couple years ago, and uh, it's, a, it's a shocker. It wasn't a bestseller because it was called God Kills. And uh, that just didn't sell. Like, could you imagine walking to the Christian bookstore, you know, with all these like beautiful like garden books and here's God kills and it didn't fly. But it is, um, it's an incredible book. And, uh, and if you know art, right, I mean, it's just his heart in 220 pages or so and the things that have formed him. And what I love about art, and I'm like already grieving that in a year and a half he's going to be moving on because he is so godly in that not necessarily his language, not necessarily his anger, not necessarily certain other things, but what's incredible about him is he, at 63, who all of his peers have made it, right? They've ch- they have the gold star next to their little Christian book. They are perfect, good Christians, and they're leading their churches, and they're good to go, but not art. Art goes, God, what do you want to kill in me? And at 62, he's still like, God, what do you need to kill in me so that I can be most fully you? And him, a machismo Italian, gave up his lead pastor moment to share with Art and I, I mean to Jeff and I. Watching him on this trip and be so generous to Jeff and myself um, and, and, and to be such a learner by, to Dave Nystrom, this teacher, like, because he has done the work. He said, what do you need to kill in me? Not just, God, what do you need to do in me? God, how do you need to form me and shape me? But he did the work and said, God, what do you actually need to put on the little cross and kill in me? And for, his, for 40 years, he's been killing and killing and killing, and the Holy Spirit is doing this thing in him. And so we, I, I mean, we're just blessed as all get out to have him. But what's great is th- that's just the beginning part. We, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and then what's left is now we are free to be followers of Jesus. Now we are free to not be the center of the stage, but to see where Jesus goes. Where Jesus goes, that's where we get to go. That is the person we follow. It is not my will, not my desires, my needs, but God's will, God's needs, God's desires. And it's everything from the tiny little person next to you in your cubicle cubicle at work and God wanting to use you to love them. 
It is the way in which you live, your personal devotional life, your personal holiness and righteousness. God has a way in which he wants to interact with you because he loves you and to to conform to that. You're willing to do that because you have died to certain things. And what's incredible is as we're faithful in these small things, God continues to give us more and more things. Because God's heart for this world, right, is to bring mercy and compassion and justice and reconciliation. God longs to bring the good news like the good news of restoration, the way God intended things to be in the Garden of Eden, where God got to be with his people and he is our God, we are his people, and there is no shame. There is, we are fully intimate with, with one another and with God. That's how God longs for it to be. And until Jesus comes back and makes it all right, we are the ones that he has put in charge. We are the body of Christ. We are the ones who are his hands and feet, who are the ones who are actually the implementers of that on earth here in Marin, in Larkspur, and in Novato, right? We are those people who are bringing compassion and mercy and justice, right? The thing that Jesus did where he saw the weakest and poorest and most oppressed people, the outcasts of society, the way that he saw them and gave them dignity and value, like the way that he did that as, God, as, as Jesus' followers and disciples, that is our mantle to scour the world, not just my TV and what's in front of me, but to die to that stuff so I can see the world, so I can see those people and be Jesus to them. And these poor people, the religious leaders, the self-righteous who just crush everyone around them, it's kind of on us to do that as well. We have to call each other out. We have to stand up for what's righteousness. And we have to take the law out of our own eyes. That's a whole different sticky thing. But that's what Jesus did, and we are called to be his followers. So we have to follow Jesus. All right, one last quick thing and then we'll be all done. What I love about Jesus is let's say you're like, I don't even love Jesus. I'm not a Jesus fan. I'm not a Jesus follower. I love Jesus because he's like, he gives a space for everybody. He's like, listen, let me just give you a little bit of common knowledge. Here's the little bit of common knowledge that you all need to know about, that the selfish life is not life at all. Those of you, uh, it goes on in Matthew, Matthew 26, it says this. Do we have that passage of scripture? So take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So Jesus says this common wisdom. You know in the depths of your heart that if you're going to be someone who just does pursue selfish ambition, you're going to lose your life. Um, there's a show I have to confess that it's probably not a good show, but I really like it. It's called House of Cards, and it's just the worst of politics. It's like the down and dirtiest, grossest thing of politics. And uh, what's crazy is that for, for all these seasons, uh, these two guys, the Underwoods, they've been uh, fighting and scraping and trying to gain political power. And uh, this last season, they've gotten it. They've made it to the presidency. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this show sucks. Like, I was on the road, I was on the, I was on the adventure going, yeah, who are you going to crush so that you can have ultimate power? And then all of a sudden they get to ultimate power, and I'm like, oh, you're just gross jerks. No one likes them. No one loves them. Everyone is fearful of them. They have, like, they have no friends. And what is wild is Jesus knows that for those of us at our most narcissistic, at our most selfish, we shut people out and no one wants to be near us. For we are made for intimacy. We are made for relationship. And the way that relationship happens is not by being selfish, not for fighting for our rights. 
Um, but we, are, we do that by giving up our, ourselves, up our rights. Uh, this movie came out a couple of years ago, I guess already, or a year ago, Rogue One, and it was great. It was an incredible movie, right? And, uh, but basically, well, it's a spoiler, they all die at the end. So if you haven't seen it, you're not a true Star Wars fan, so it doesn't matter. But these guys, they had this mission, and their, and, their, and their whole mission was to get plans for Death Star. I don't want to talk about it because I'll sound like a dork or a nerd, but I loved it. And, uh, but the whole mission was to do this thing, and every single one of them all along the way, they give up their life for this mission. And I realized I am so soft. Living in Marin County, living in the area, the area that I live in, I'm like, I don't think I would do that. I think I would hope someone more brave and more noble would do that. Because it is not in me, it's not in our culture to give up ourselves, our rights, our lives for a noble cause. Like you remember Saving Private Ryan for a long, long time ago, uh, or reading books about like trench warfare and World War I, like who would ever do that? Like it's not part of our deal. And we just need to own it. It's not part of our deal. But Jesus says, listen, those of you who give up your life for me, that is where you're going to find true life. So I was racking my brain, who in the world are actually people that do that? And I think for the most part, the people, Christian or non-Christian, who actually get it are moms. Moms are the few people in the whole world who get this idea that this is my baby and I'm going to do whatever it takes to love and care for this baby. I'm going to give up my body, my time, my resources, right? Dads for all of humanity have left and gone off to war, but moms for most of humanity have said, no, I'm going to give up myself for my kid. Christian, non-Christian life, it is in us to do it. It is the noble thing to give up who we are for somebody else. That is where true life is. And we do that not just for our baby and not just for those who love us, but we do that for Jesus, for the things of Jesus. We are invited into this full and abundant life. This last question that I would love for you to think about as you continue to read Scripture for the rest of the summer, as you think of the passage of Scripture that you're going to write down and memorize, I just think this is a good framing question. Most of the time when I think of the Scriptures I love, I ask this question, how can God bless me in my pursuits? I love this passage of Scripture. It feels good to me. It makes me feel good. God's going to have my back. He's going to be with me for blah, blah, blah. And we think of those things about God fulfilling me. And there's lots of Scriptures about that. How cool that God loves us. He sees us. But what a difference it might be that for this summer, if we said, God, I don't want to be about me and you fulfill me and you bless me, but what would it be? How can I be a blessing to you, God? How can I be about pursuing the things that you pursue? And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that as we run after Jesus this summer, as we read Scripture like crazy, and there's so much Scripture to read, but as we read Scripture and God brings a verse to our heart and a verse to our mind, may we be the disciples of Jesus. May we deny ourselves, pick up our cross, so that we truly can be the hands and feet of Jesus to a world that desperately, desperately needs it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll wrap up our time. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, we thank you so much that you are so patient with us. You are so gracious to us. And whether we find ourselves being poor and needy and in a total disaster and we just need your grace and mercy or we're self-righteous religious people who might need a, a firm rebuke or we're in this middle area where we just are people who love you and want to know what it means to follow you more. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would interact with us, that you would draw us closer to your Son. So through your word this summer, God, may you give us the encouragement and the correction and the the enjoyment of what it means to be connected to you, the God of the universe, who has invited us in as precious daughters and sons. 
May we take on that mantle and may we, may we be the daughters and your sons who do the family business and bring you honor and glory both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.